Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to first begin by reading from Psalm 14 and 1 that says for, uh, that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. And I just want to touch on the first part of that, uh, that there are those who may not share our Christian worldviews, and they have conceived in their heart that there is no God, that God does not exist. Some of us may label them atheists, which means atheism, uh, that there is no God, and they're certain of that according to their argument. And as a result, if there's no God, then this world came into being by some other means. This universe came into existence through some other medium or uh, other mode that they argue uh, is more convincing and more persuasive than the God who we know created everything. So today's episode, I wanted to, uh, I'm excited. Uh, There's a book entitled uh, Improbable Planet, How Earth Became Humanity's Home. And this book really gives us evidence as Christians uh, that we can use to share with those that have Uh, a burden to know where we came from and uh, why we as Christians believe that our existence is not by chance. Our existence is not by random uh, selection, but our existence came from a thoughtful, uh, intelligent designer uh, who created everything. And so the author of this book is Dr. Hugh Ross, who is the founder and president of Reason to Believe, uh, Brother Ross is a, an astron- astronomer as well as an author, and he's traveled the globe speaking on the relationship between uh, science and Christianity. And his organization, as I said before, is Reason to Believe, and they're dedicated to providing resources to all of those that are listening to us. Uh, you can visit them on their website and obtain the information uh, numerous information they have uh, dealing with Christianity and science and looking at this universe, looking at our earth uh, from a Christian paradigm. So we want to introduce doc, uh, Dr. and uh, and Brother uh, Hugh Ross to the show. Brother Ross, welcome to Sound Reasoning. Oh, you're my pleasure. You've written a book, uh, Improbable Planet, and again, thank you for embarking on uh, that uh, composition of this book. If you had to sum up this book, um, what would you say about it? Well, I preferred the title for the book, uh, Habitability for Redemption. Mm. The book is all about the design of the universe, the Earth, and Earth, uh, the history of life on planet Earth that makes possible the redemption of billions of human beings in a short period of time. Mm. So it's much more than a design book. <laughs> um. Why the title, Improbable Planet? Well, it's the title the publisher chose. As I said, I would have preferred uh, 
habitability for redemption. Uh, but yeah, the book, uh, I think it's, they, they like the title because the book is loaded with a huge amount of uh, new material showing just how exquisitely designed our planet is to make possible the existence of human beings. But really, I take it one step further and say it's not just designed for human beings. It's exquisite design that makes possible the redemption of billions of human beings in a period of just a few thousand years. Hmm. So I've witnessed for myself uh, through television as well as other articles, there's now um, enthusiasm for wanting to find life on other planets. What do you think is the reason behind that? And and why should we as Christians um, be uh, knowledgeable about these efforts? Well, I think what's driving that enthusiasm is we look on planet Earth, there is now the recognition that life originated on our planet as early as the laws of physics would permit, and it happened immediately. It didn't happen over a long period of time. Therefore, my colleagues who are not Christians have presumed that the origin of life must be a very easy step, even though they have no idea how it happened. In fact, as we look at the origin of life, we realize it happened without the benefit of the essential building block molecules, which tells us it has to be a miracle that can't be a natural event. But what they're really missing is this, is that unless the origin of life happens as early as the laws of physics permit, and unless it happens immediately rather than over a period of time, there is no possibility of ever getting human beings. We can't exist unless the origin of life happens as early as the laws of physics permit, uh, which means that it could be highly improbable as opposed to being highly probable. And that's a lot of what the book is about, explaining why it's extremely improbable rather than likely. So on that topic, uh, I was reading through your book, and I came upon this phrase, and I'm, if you can just explain it to our listeners, and the, uh, the, the phrase is a circumstellar habitable zone. What is that? Well, uh, when astronomers talk about how there might be 40 billion habitable planets uh, in our Milky Way galaxy alone, they're talking about the distance from the host star in which you would get a temperature on the surface of the planet where liquid water could conceivably exist for at least part of the time of the planet's history. And because water is essential for life, uh, they call that the habitable zone. Mm. However, what they're overlooking is that that's just the liquid water habitable zone. For life to be possible, that planet must also reside in what's called the ultraviolet habitable zone the distance from the star where you get the just right ultraviolet radiation in which light chemistry can operate. And for 97% of all stars in our galaxy, the water habitable zone does not overlap the ultraviolet habitable zone. And as you see in the book, I described eight different habitable zones, and I just wrote an article on our reasons.org website about a recently discovered ninth habitable zone. Mm. For a planet to be truly habitable, it must reside in all nine habitable zones. If you miss one, it's not habitable. And of the 3,600 planets that we've discovered so far, there's only one of those 3,600 where a planet resides in all nine habitable zones, and that's the planet you and I are sitting on. Really? 
scale. Only Earth meets the, the requirement for light. So which other planet is closest uh, to meeting those criteria that you just mentioned beside Earth? Well, there's two planets that are about the same size as Earth and roughly the same distance from their stars as Earth is uh, from the sun, and they've found water on those planets. So they come the closest. But the problem is they're extremely water-rich. They measure between 5 and 50% water, and that's way too much water for advanced life. For advanced life to be possible, you need continents and oceans on the surface of the planet. I mean, to give you a measure, our planet has 0.03% water content, not 5 to 50%. So because we have such a thin layer of water, we actually have continents on the surface rather than a really thick ocean. Matter of fact, what I write about in the book is that the Earth started off with an ocean that was more than 1,000 miles deep. Hmm. But because of the moon-forming event, we lost all of our water, and something called the thin veneer replaced the missing water with a very thin layer of water and a thin atmosphere, which is exactly what advanced life needs. So, again, what are the chances, and I love the way that uh, you have researched the numbers, what are the chances of all of those things uh, that you just mentioned working together uh, to complement and support life's existence uh, without some sort of um, transcendent uh, creator? Well, you'll see a, a compendium on our reasons.org website. It's reasons.org slash fine-tuning. And all the calculations and documentation are given there for you. And the bottom line is, if you're not going to invoke miracles from a divine creator, from a god, the probability is less than one chance in 10 to the 1,050th <laughs> power. That's 1,050 zeros after the one. And to put that in context, that's roughly the same as the probability of someone winning the California lottery 150 consecutive times where they buy only one ticket each time. Or as a mathematician friend of mine put it, it's no different than the probability of winning the California lottery 150 consecutive times where you don't buy any tickets at all. Hmm. In other words, it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. Um, it's a common assertion that if we follow the water, we'll find life. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's something that we've addressed in the sense that water is only one requirement for life. Certainly for life to be possible, you need a large amount of liquid water. But it's not just that you need a large amount of liquid water. It's got to hang around for billions of years if you want anything besides bacteria and <laughs> unicellular life forms, which makes it a much more demanding requirement. But as we've already discussed, there's eight other habitable zones that a planet's got to fit within. And in addition to those nine habitable zones, there's 350 different characteristics of the planet that must be fine-tuned in order for any kind of plant or animal life to possibly exist on that planet. So that's why our planet Earth is extremely improbable. As vast as the universe is, it's way too small by natural means alone to explain a planet like Earth. You mentioned the term fine-tuning. Um, that's a term uh, I've come across many times in uh, reading literature about 
uh, this earth and how perfectly it's situated. Uh, can you touch more on that in terms of, uh, as you said, this could not be accidental, that it had to be purposeful in terms of uh, some of the elements of position, uh, the position there we're in and also some of the physics behind it, if you can just touch on that. Yeah, sure. Uh, because of the space-time theorems, uh, it's no longer doubted that there must be a causal agent beyond space and time that created our universe. Now, that's where a lot of my physicists and astronomy friends simply stay. They say, yes, there's an agent that created everything, but they deny that that agent is a personal being. The fine-tuning evidence tells us it must be a personal being because we can measure the level of fine-tuning design we see in the universe, Earth, and Earth's life to make possible the existence of advanced life and compare that with the very best example of human fine-tuning design. And the best example I can think of are these exotic uh, gravity wave telescopes. But their fine-tuning design ranks 10 to the 97 times inferior to the level of fine-tuning design we see in just one law of physics, the dark energy you need uh, to make advanced light possible. And that tells us that the one that designed the dark energy to make life possible at a minimum is 10 trillion, 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 trillion times more intelligent and knowledgeable than the Caltech and MIT physicists who invented these amazing machines and at least that many times better funded than the U.S. government that actually made its construction possible. And so that really tells you uh, that, yes, that causal agent beyond space and time must be a personal being. Moreover, he has expressed his personality explicitly for human beings, because it's with human beings where we see the greatest level of fine-tuning design. Mm. That's kind of the message of my book, is that all this improbability we see not only tells us that there's a personal God, but it's a God that places an extremely high value as an extremely high purpose on human beings. Thank you so much uh, for those uh, facts and statistics. So when you speak to your colleagues who may, who may not be Christians, uh, what do they say uh, in terms of the causal agent? Uh, what is the causal, causal agent that they argue, or who is the causal agent that they may argue? Well, a lot of them just refer to it as a causal agent that transcends space and time and has designed the universe for the benefit of human beings. And I have to point out to them that they've just given us the dic dictionary definition of the God of the Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what I've discovered is if I can spend enough time with a scientist and show them that the fine-tuning design in his or her narrow discipline is pervasive throughout all the scientific disciplines, I find that many of them come to recognize, hey, what the Bible says about this God is true, and we see many come to faith in Jesus Christ, hmm. including a Nobel laureate in chemistry. Hmm. I, I, I appreciate that. Now, I wanted to ask you, how you are by discipline an astronomer, how did you... Um, come to Christ? Well, I was born, raised, and educated in Canada, and uh, I didn't really get to know Christians until I was 27 years of age when I took up a faculty post at Caltech. But I became a Christian at age 19, 
First, at age 16, I became convinced through my studies in astronomy that the universe had to have a beginning and therefore a beginner. And I began to look at the great philosophers to see if they could help me find out who that beginner is. Mm. That was very disappointing. And then I began to look at the world's holy books. Looked at the Quran, mm-hmm. looked at the Hindu Vedas, mm-hmm. uh, Buddhist commentaries, and finally I picked up a Bible. And when I picked up a Bible, I realized that thousands of years ago it had predicted all the fundamental features that we call the Big Bang creation model, mm-hmm. that it actually predicted in several hundred places, thousands of years ahead of its time, future scientific discoveries. And this is what proved to me that the Bible had predictive power. And if it's got predictive power, uh, then that uh, told me that this must be a book that's inspired by the one that actually did all the creation history. And therefore, I wound up signing my name in the back of a Gideon Bible <laughs> at age 19, giving my life to Jesus Christ. And eight years later, I actually got to know some Christians. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for that testimony. And what caused you to organize this um, uh, ministry, Reason to Believe? Well, I was at Caltech, and uh, I kept running into people, both astronomers and lay people, who said, you're an astronomer, you're at Caltech, you're a serious Christian, you believe the Bible, believe the air-free Word of God, i got a lot of questions for you. And so I was answering <laughs> questions, and then people were inviting me to speak at business clubs and at scientific meetings, and I was getting invitations to speak in churches, and so that... That really led me to found reasons to believe. That's basically an organization. We're, we're, we're a group of research scientists that look at the book of nature. The Bible tells us God gave us two books, the book of Scripture and the book of nature. We research the frontiers of scientific research to develop brand new evidences, brand new reasons to believe in the Bible and the Christian faith. So are you telling me, uh, Brother Ross, that Christians can also be thinkers? Oh, definitely. (laughs) In fact, I would say, I mean, what what our scientific team is finding is that there are about 10 research papers a day on average that uh, give us a stronger case uh, for our Christian faith. And what we've done at Reasons to Believe is to build a testable biblical creation model. And so how we appeal to unbelieving scientists and other people as we say, we have a biblical model, and if our biblical model is more successful in explaining the comprehensive nature of the world of nature and is more successful in predicting future scientific discoveries, then maybe you need to think about trading in your non-theistic model for a biblical Christian model. And that's how we bring people to faith in Christ. That is so true. That is exactly uh, the point. So my final question then, Brother Ross, and thank you so much for your time, is what is your hope for the reader in terms of Improbable Planet? Well, my hope is that they would realize how much God has invested to make possible the redemption, not just of a few human beings, but many billions of human beings, and how he intends to do it in a short period of time, and to recognize how much God has provided for us. It therefore must be a God has a very deep care and love for the human species. And if he's poured that much love and care into making a home for us, then I need to recognize he cares and loves me even more, and I need to really seriously consider what he wants me to do with my life. 
mean, I love nature as well. And the thing that I recognize in writing this book, God has put us here on planet Earth when our planet is more beautiful than it's ever been in its entire history. Mm. God did that as a reward for us, and he's rewarded us in so many different ways. Surely we must take seriously the offer he's given us of how we can be redeemed from our moral imperfections. Amen. Thank you for that uh, testimony and, and giving us insights into this planet that the Lord has blessed us with and uh, given us some information to keep our faith and hope alive in, in terms of uh, the Bible and how it relates to nature and the science that backs it up. So, uh, Brother Hugh Ross, thank you so much for being on Sound Reasoning, and we pray that the Lord allows our, our paths to intersect again. Oh, you're very welcome, and I'd be looking forward to that. Okay, praise God. We'll be talking. Okay, thank you. That is Brother Hugh Ross, uh, president of Reason to Believe Ministries. Uh, you can find them on the web. And I'm thankful to God that he opens the doors uh, for our listeners such as you to be blessed by um, these people that he's called into these different disciplines uh, to bless the ecclesia, the entire universal uh, body of Christ, uh, that we may be edified by their knowledge that comes from God alone. And as we look around this world, as we look at our universities, as we look at our hospitals, as we look at our research centers, uh, you know, it's really a sad uh, case in regards to uh, the gifts and the insights that God has blessed so many men and women uh, to have. But yet many of them deny that he exists and many of them refuse to give him credit. But thank God that he always has a, a representative uh, God always have people who will call his call out his name. God always has representatives such as yourselves who may be listening. And I pray that this episode will help you grow closer to God as we ask some of the fundamental questions of this life. So thank you all for listening to Sound Reasoning Ministries. And we hope that you're willing to do for the truth what so many do for, for a lie. And as always, please consider becoming a financial sponsor of Sound Reasoning Ministries. Uh, we solicit your prayers as well. But if the Lord put on your heart to contribute, please do so. Um, you can reach out to us on our website, srministries.org. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. 
Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful, devotional, and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.